0: To his left, and he's on his way. Ten, nine, five, three. Cut down. Wonderful try.
1: We have a mole, Jim.
0: Dig's like a demented mole. There. He just busts through the defence. Just watch this.
1: Good evening and welcome to the Mallcast. Good evening. Good evening. We're going to start off by talking about Leinster, who swept aside Connacht and was usually a really tricky fixture for them over in Galway, but uh, instead they had a bonus point within about half an hour and it looked like they had uh, both a combination of uh, the really talented youngsters who won so many league games for them last season and a fairly seamless reintroduction of, uh, of the first uh, tranche of World Cup players coming back and uh, with four Hining Cup games coming up in the next five sort of matches for them. Looking pretty fearsome have to be said. I agree. Next topic. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> no, they were very good. They're outstanding. Uh, I've never seen a first half like that uh, from Leinster in the sports ground. I felt that Connacht looked really undercooked. I understand they have issues at, in the second row and they you continue to pick up injuries uh, throughout the game in that position. But for a team who had started the league well, they looked um, slow off the mark. Their tackle height and and hidden height was high. And they looked a little bit ropey in terms of running lines and a little bit predictable compared to last season. So, um, that's a really... Game was over after 20-odd minutes. It was very, very similar um, to... Uh, like <laughs> Irish World Cup quarterfinals, and that the game was really put beyond, put to bed as a as a contest after like twenty four minutes, twenty three minutes, whenever the the third try was in. Um, and there, there's not an awful lot. If you're a Connacht fan or a Connacht player, looking back in that match, there wasn't an awful lot to uh, to hang your hat on or to look back on with a sense that you can build off it. I was
0: curious uh how leinster will play with the the end of the the schmidt coaching ticket because i remember at lancaster's first season um i went down to watch leinster train and i remember seeing the sort of things that he was trying to emphasize and like it reminded me of, of jerry murphy coaching so jerry murphy uh like you're going back 20 years when he was coaching Ireland uh, and he, he subsequently coached Teren which is where I came across the sort of stuff that he was doing. But what he was, what Lancaster was concentrating on was, was the same sort of drills, the same sort of stuff that Murph was doing. And um, he was kind of scolding the players maybe for their lack of ambition or for their uh, their willingness to look for, for contact. And then, Shortly after, well, a bit a month after, um, the in that in the subsequent month, the team went down. They lost a ton. Th- they lost in tournament twenty nine seventeen. I remember for Ross Burns starting uh, and Noel Reid coming on at number ten, and then it's looking much better, mm. um, and then beat Ulster. Very young Ulster team. And then hammered Zebri. hammered like beat them 70 points to six. And I remember Jamie Heaslip playing in that match and it'd been really, and he was sort of, um, he was kind of getting up to speed and you could see Heaslip get up to speed uh, as the AZ evolved and Heaslip sort of gone, oh, like I'm, I'm getting this. And thereafter, Leinster went on a run, which culminated for me on the 4th of March in 2017. They beat the Scarlets 45-9 and the Scarlets won the league that season. And if you'd been told that one of those teams is going to win the league, you'd be like... I know, like, and but it wasn't the one. And I think what happened was that a lot of, it, it, it's interesting what happened there next. So I, my take on it at the time was that the internationals came back and they couldn't integrate them properly. Um, so the internationals came back and they weren't used to playing that game where fellas are running into certain areas and putting a pass back into other areas or they're looking to offload. And you have to play quick. You, you don't have time to get structured and set up the next pod and the next, you know, truck it up. Um, but that wasn't the case. So the next time out, they're pretty much the same team, bar Keen Healy for uh, Peter Dooley. Pretty much, like, you know, they jigged around a few guys in the back row, but basically Vander came in for Conan, Levy and Ruddick swap positions. Uh, and they were lucky to win 22-21.
2: What game was that? Edinburgh.
0: That was no. That was against the Blues. That was against Cardiff. Cuthbert scored two tries for.
2: Oh, do I remember? Yeah.
0: And then lucky to beat lucky to beat the Ospreys twenty points to eighteen. Beat Connacht well, um, and then squeak past Glasgow, squeak past Ulster, and got well beat in the semi by the Scarlets. Um, and. I, but I do I do remember the difficulty they had in reintegrating. I remember that Sean O'Brien wasn't picked forty. Well, he was picked on the bench for the semi-final and then cried off with a, an injury because he had the Lions tour coming up. Mm. I just started thinking he's he's gone from Leinster. Like mentally, he's he's just not there. Like he's, um, and people legitimising it, and I, I never liked it. Um, and the following season, then Leinster went over to Sandy Park. They beat Exeter, playing with. So that was that was the Christmas match. Mm-hmm. They, they were they were the Christmas fixtures, the uh, the double header fixtures, and it was a great win. But they played a much more conservative style of game to reintroduce reintegrate immediately internationals who played in November. So you're bringing back Irish guys who played against South Africa. They won thirty eight three, and Fiji.
1: Well, not many Irish players was, played against
0: Fiji. It was. Um, I think it was very. It was decisive from Cullen and Lancaster that they sort of said we, we can't play that way and bring back the and bring back the Irish players because they just won't be up to speed and so, they
2: needed physicality against Exeter. Over and you, you need, need physi- you need but more the, this is, physical strength. This is this is, but yeah. this is
0: this is the interesting thing. So now going into matches against uh, Treviso are. Treviso, are curious because they've really improved over the last two seasons. They haven't had a really particularly good season this time. Mm, exactly. But like, they've had a lot of Italian internationals away. So Treviso have a lot of Italian internationals back. How good are they going to be? Um, but then going into Northampton or Leon are both top of respective leagues. Like Leon are way ahead in, in top 14. So you're sort of saying... Received wisdom is that, oh, you need physicality, you need to play a particular way against these sort of teams, playing away from home. That's not to say that you don't, but will Leinster continue to play with the same pace and the same sort of freneticism almost? Like, you know, in, in, when it doesn't work as well, it just looks frenetic. It's 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 emphasis on quick rook ball, multiple runners. Like James Lowe had a try disallowed because himself and Fardy ran into the same hole. And you're going that's a good reason for having to try this out. Yeah, I agree. like this is this is the sort of thing that you're trying to encourage is that attack 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 mentality. Um and you're talking about Leinster having all of November, all of December, all of January without international break, which is which is highly unusual, It only happens every 4 years. Um what are they going to be like over those 3 months? And how's that going to how's that going to bleed into Ireland? Because you're going to have a sizeable proportion of the squad coming of the Irish national squad coming from that squad playing a way that no Irish province has played,
2: and into a new uh, coaching system with a, like an entirely new coaching ticket, yeah, new backs coach in cast, new head coach and Farrell, and new scrum coach in Johnny Forwardie. Um That's very interesting. I think the 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 nature of playing so much rugby together with you know fewer uh, concerns on a, of an international uh, nature is is really unusual like you say and i think it i think it's really exciting like i i was talking about this last week and it wasn't just to try and put a, a positive spin on the world cup it is exciting you know things like a new coaching ticket uh, I just find that exciting. Like that, uh, any sort of m- m- newness in, in a game which you're interested in, whether it's signing a new player or a player coming back from a long-term injury or, you know, Robin McBride has joined, Leinster now, a new scrum coach. Any sort of like, like as a, just, a, just a fan, I think that's that's interesting. And there's so many new things now. Uh, all coming together, you know, new sort of season set up, new amount of time together, new coaching ticket for um, for Ireland, that it is exciting. One uh, of the other things, that uh, you mentioned there about uh, the received wisdom, and I think it is received wisdom, but I also, like I can be uh, quite conservative on certain issues with regards to rugby, and, and I think that you know, for example, things like taking your points or taking kicks a goal or rather when the opportunity presents themselves knock out games. And I do think that you can't go to um yeah, I don't think you can go to a hard away fixture and throw the ball around. I don't think that works for fucking anybody. you know, once in twenty. it's like it's like coming from behind you're 14 points down 1 in 20 times it'll work Munster did it to Toulouse years and years ago Leinster did it to Toulouse in 2006 but Toulouse came over here having beaten us in um, in the last season and just, even with their big pack they'd tried to throw the ball around the backs and you know couldn't
1: couldn't make it work we did it in Franklin's Gardens as well actually but then we lost the the home game surprisingly yeah when they
2: sent over a brute of a team yeah Put George Ford outside centre that day.
0: Yeah, I, I, um, I sort of agree with you. I, I think that you'd have to break. Personally, I'd have to break it down into the, the different components that you need. So we did a checklist of what you need if you're going to win a World mm-hmm. Cup. Uh, part of it, like you need really good halfbacks. You need, like, you need you need to get penalties. You need to kick your penalties. Yeah, you, you need to be really good at your set pieces. But none of that precludes you from playing like With the real effervescence, and one of the again, having watched uh, like the England New Zealand match completely, um, like painstakingly almost, oh, it was quite enjoyable actually. Well, but it wasn't, seeking, wasn't painstaking, painstaking.
2: Well, I watched Ireland versus New Zealand
0: um, again, watching New Zealand, uh, watching England South Africa. I think Great Death is what I hadn't ever thought of about as much, is but I do now is that, um, the, the idea of pressure, like the, it's all about applying pressure to the opposition like scoreboard pressure territorial pressure possession pressure uh, what leinster do or what they certainly did to connacht was that they played with a pace that was it didn't like it was it was an unrelenting pace while they were scoring tries, and they just never really let Connacht catch their breath. So it's, yeah. it's like a boxer that just throws jabs and jabs and jabs, and like you're just under attack. There isn't time... Well,
2: it's like a boxer that moves forward, actually, all yeah, the time, rather forward, just throw yeah, jabs. Moves yeah. forward
0: and punches, punches, yeah. punches. Like, so it's not a counter-attack style mm-hmm. to play. Like, it's a very positive... It's not necessarily throwing big bombs all the time. And like look, there's only so far you can stretch this metaphor, but like it's it, that idea of constantly moving forward, it's just like the pace is what puts you as the opposition. Yeah,
2: they're crowding you. They're crowding you.
0: The crowd, yeah. And like you're having to think at a faster pace, and like you just can't keep up. It's, it's only a matter of time before something happens. And, and so th- there's that sort of stuff, right? So go back to the received wisdom. If, and it's an if, if Leinster are successful with this, allowing for the fact that they have a lot of talent in the team, allowing for the fact that the Heineken Cup is not the World Cup. But if they are successful at this, it offers a blueprint that an Irish team can play this sort of rugby and it'll work. And I think then you get to the you sort of you've got the pressure argument and then you get to the idea of the risk return sort of way that, I, again, I think of it that, like, if if you're, if you look at Joe Schmidt, if you look at what South Africa we were are we successful with, you, you play a low-risk style of rugby, and you don't allow for, like, you don't allow things to go wrong. Now, things obviously went wrong, but, like, you, your style of rugby doesn't allow for things to go wrong. And by removing the, the things that are going to go wrong, you leave yourself with a chance of a better outcome. Now, it's it's never going to have really... Like, see the thing is Ireland beat South Africa 38-3. Right now, New Zealand put like 40-50 points on South Africa. So you you look whereas New Zealand are obviously like a high risk sort of team that New Zealand will go and play and they, they do it so well and they do it so often that you think, well, like this is the default, but then you see them in a match against England, and you go, like, like when they're playing at the wrong part of the pitch and they're not ahead, they are like they're a different team. Mm. Um But I think for Ireland. Yeah, you have to be prepared to take risks if you want to win things. And you have to be prepared for it to go wrong because it is more high risk. Yeah, I agree with that. But
2: there's a huge issue that whenever something, whenever, I'll give you an example because I think it's uh, a good example. Whenever something goes wrong, uh, if you take a risk, Irish commentators who inform so many people's opinion, the commentators for the games, give out, oh, you have to do this. Like it's, you have to set up a rook there or you have to, you can't force the pass there. And the example I was thinking of was when Sexton's first touch kick in the quarterfinal that he missed put in 50 odd, 51, 52 meter kick. That was, you know, when Monga touched in the air, it was t- about two meters over the line. Well, like and about two metres from the goal line. And that was an, it's just an incredible piece of play from Moonga. That, to me, is a completely a risk worth taking, getting it into, from uh, Sexton's point of view, getting it in that deep, going that deep, and not going, oh, I'm going to make sure I get my touch and kick it into the 22. Yeah. yeah, like I think going going to get it on the five-metre line or closer totally a, a risk worth taking and it's not my attitude after that is it wouldn't be oh you have to make your touch it's like fuck that was a great play you yeah. know it's not the same if he just misses touch like his second one where mm. he didn't get anywhere near touch like that's that's just you know really bad I
0: think Carberry had the same
2: yeah Carberry had the same later on in the match. yeah George Bridge rescued at this time it was an amazing thing so but those when you're when you're going for those extra meters from a in this case penalty line kick or when you go for an offload from a break and you know there's been a quick turnover you've made it this sprint up the field you're going the try is on if you can get the offload away go for the offload i know you've made 60 meters and if you get tackled and hold it up and you've established great field position but i remember saying it four years ago uh, or writing it four years ago on the blog that was one of the things which ireland had to improve on which is like don't be so risk averse in um, when they've made breaks, or especially when they've made breaks. It's like look to score from from further out than they do, um, and then, uh, I, that's apropos of nothing really. If you look at Leinster's tries in the recent game against Connacht, a lot of them came from close in. Like it's still the most usual place to score from statistically
0: go go back to the conversation about england and new zealand like part of new zealand's problem wasn't their lack of attacking ambition it was Mm. the fact that they were doing it from 50 or 60 yards out yeah and and this goes back to the idea of pressure like if if you're running your 242 and you're doing your offloads and guys are running lines there's a massive difference doing it in the opposition 22 when you can force penalties that are kickable uh, and if one guy makes a break, they'll score a try as opposed to doing it 60 metres out when they've got quicker players than you do. So I think um I was trying, to, I was trying to sort of make this cogent as well in my head. Like that for Irish rugby used like our weakness used to be like we'd have no tight head, or we'd have one tight head, and if he got injured, like we were we were screwed. And it isn't to dismiss the success that we've had playing a relatively conservative game because like a lot of the fundamentals have improved. It's just to sort of understand that it isn't it isn't a binary thing. Like you have to be able to, I think, personally speaking, I like being able to break it down and going, like this is the, this is a risk worth taking. And that isn't. Like it, you know, you're not talking about, picking like an aerobically fit tight head who just can't scrummage and sort of going oh like you know this is really great we'll just pick like seven flankers this type of idea that that's that's not what you're being asked to do but it is recognizing that uh, you want to encourage your players to play with that pace I, I guess is, is one of the it is one of the mm. but like it can't just be frenetic. And that's that's the downside of that style of rugby when it doesn't work. You just, you do,
1: you, you throw loose passes.
2: Like Australia. Like Australia.
1: Exactly. <clears throat> Let me take you back in a time machine to 2012. In the final, we uh, hockeyed Ulster in, in the European Cup. And in that final, I remember Leo Cullen, in well, maybe his last game? No, no, season. We'll play
2: next played
1: season. next season. Catching a ball like on his shoelaces and in the fall throwing the ball out of the tackle. And I remember two of our front row going over to add-on tries towards the end. Yeah, Crowell that, and that team coached by Schmidt had exceptional handling and was quite, like, a lot more fluid than the one he coached in Ireland. Yeah, but that's... A night- and I know there's the thing that, like, you don't have as much time with the Ireland. Exactly. But, like, he was at Ireland for an awful long time in the end. That's... But that's irrelevant. He only has
2: certain windows to work with players. His, his job is to select a team uh, from a group of players coming from four provinces and give them a game plan which they can all understand and work to. He can't coach them. He's the manager selector and installs the game plan. He can't improve such and such's handling or lines of running to a degree. He can only put it in that straight-jacketed way uh, no, that's not fair. He doesn't. That was the way he he saw best of it, and for most of the time, was really successful. Uh, you know, when he was able to coach players week in, week out, day in, day out, um, he had more, like far more latitude to, to, uh, to I suppose, make a less structured game. He was coaching one set of players who were familiar with the principles. He wasn't coached. If they went away to Declan Kidney or something, they'd come back. They'd only be away for a week or three weeks. Then they'd be back to him. Whereas he's in the Declan Kidney role this time. Mm -hmm. Or he was in the Declan Kidney role. And, you know, with regards to boring rugby, like Wales, I've rarely seen a team play more boring rugby this year than Wales. Like their Six Nations was with, you know, they had 10 great minutes of attacking rugby against England. And then they had a lot of really hard nails, scrabbling defensive rugby to win. Their, they had a good win against uh, Australia. And then the rest of their, their World Cup was really a really difficult watch. But the head coach's job is to l- deliver wins you know select the team and deliver wins that's what the head coach's job is and everyone says Gatland is great um and rightly so because he delivered wins um and that's that's the difference at the end of the at the end of the tournament the two tournaments this year between Schmidt and, and Gatland both played very conservative rugby both had both are extremely good coaches one coach delivered more wins. The cloud didn't like that. Have to give credit to the forwards.
1: So the World Cup champions South Africa were back in action already uh, with the game against Ulster. Oh, zinger! <laughs> <laughs> um, the Munster versus Ulster game was a lot closer than the uh, the Leinster versus Connacht game. Uh, and it had a quite interesting quirk in it, in that the... Uh, Ulster pack didn't have a single true blue Ulsterman uh, amongst it and instead had five Leinster players, five Leinster bred players, I I guess, Mm. is the best way of saying it, uh, amongst them.
2: Um, Yeah, three, three former Leinster pros in Jack McGrath, Marty Moore, and Jordy Murphy and then two guys who are born and bred Leinster uh, in Alan O'Connor and Nick Timmy, both of whom were in the Ulster Academy, but uh, I think O'Connor oh. uh went to Blackrock in his last he did, year, yeah. he was scary, so wasn't he? I don't know that, and then went to Blackrock, and then Nick Timmy was Blackrock all the way up. So there was those five, and then they had Sam Carter for formerly of the Brumbies in the second row, Rob Herring, uh, who's uh, South African born, and Sean Reedy. So now both of those are Irish capped, but uh, no, 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 uh forward in the starting pack uh, from Ulster at all which is obviously the first time that's happened in the history of of Ulster rugby so it's it reminded me of I think it was 14th of January 2005 that famous day (laughs) (laughs) when Arthur Winger first picked an Arsenal team with no English players in it now it's not a whole team it was a pack but they also have had truly great forwards you know Willie John um, Sid Miller, Jerry Davidson, Philip Matthews, and not to have one in a team, which is you know that, that wasn't a weakened team. That was a strong team. is uh, is really telling.
0: Y- yeah, and going I, I, back to the discussion earlier on about how will Ireland play and the sort of the style. Again, thinking of it during the week, I was there. Gone. That that's quite short term. Like how that that's what Ireland do in the moment. Um, it's it's it won't affect. But then long term is like where where are where is Irish rugby? Uh, like how competitive is Are the teams going to be when they're in Europe? What sort of stuff they need to do better, worse? Gavin um, Komski wrote a piece, and you know, like I, I think sort of Komsky's writing, gets in the way of his ideas sometimes. Um, Does he have an idea? Does because, he? well, I I agree to sort of, I mean, like four years ago, I wrote the same sort of idea about like, how, or more than, and more frequently than that, about how the academies operated, what sort of athletes the academies had to look to get in, uh, what sort of backgrounds, like a more of a... Emphasis on youths rather than just schools, but basically trying to get guys who were better raw material rather than guys who were more polished. Yeah, that, yeah, that sort oh, yeah. of academy. Sort of anyway, one of the lines that comes had was that it, it can't be just two teams separated by the Rock Road. Uh, the idea being like Black oh. Rock and Michaels, and you sort of go, okay, well, like you know, that that's a good soundbite, but again, when you when you look at it a bit more in the numbers, you go, Leinster isn't the problem. Like Leinster is producing players and. Those guys are being successful, and they're not just being successful in Leinster; they're being successful in other provinces. Like the the real issue is that if there's no Ulster-born stroke, proper Ulster academy, root to fruit players, playing for Ulster. There's no playing for Ireland. So, like, and the same in Munster, the same in Connacht, to a lesser extent, because Connacht has never been a mass supplier to the Irish team. If you go back to the 2007 World Cup, it was, you know, the Munster Pack and the backs. That was, you know, broadly speaking, the split. Mm-hmm. And that was a very, very good team going over there. Oh, so that's, brilliant team. That's in the modern era. So, that structurally, that's something that I'm really curious to see what's going to happen over the next few seasons.
2: Yeah, and I, I was looking at... Uh, I was looking back over World Cup squads at various stages over the last you know few months. Uh, one of the things I noted was that I think there were fourteen Leinster contracted players in this World Cup squad and twelve Munster contracted players. Whereas in twenty fifteen there was only six Munster contracted players in the squad. There were seven Munster men because Sean Cronin was there as well, although contracted to Leinster. But uh, so that's a big increase in, in the number of monster contracted players in the squad. but in another level down of a le- another level of analysis, it's actually the same number of monster players. that uh, went to 2015 as went to 2019. It's six again because like two, two of the, the monster players this year are Klein and Standard uh, from South Africa. Three are Conway, Carberry, and Tigburn, all of whom played pro rugby for, for Leinster. They weren't overlooked by the academy. They were in the academy. They all got pro contracts at on one stage, another Tigburn, a sh- uh, short term contract. And then the last is Chris Farrell, who's via Ulster, Ulster Academy, Grenoble. Uh, and, you know, there's there's six actual Munster men and seventh uh, in Sean Cronin. And the issue with this particular posse of monster men is that of those seven, six of them are 30 or older. Only one of them, Niall Scandal, is in his 20s. Um, so you know, Earl's 32, John Ryan's 31, uh, Cron's 33, and O'Mahony, S- O'Mahony, and Murray, Murray, 30. And this uh, is
0: quite a subtle point. This, this isn't question of oh like you know plastic paddies or he's not a real Ulsterman like you know these guys are playing for months no right? no yeah I'm not these interested in that at all right that's not the point that's irrelevant like
2: my point, point is is it's the, it's the production of players um the production of players is like you have to produce players for your own team but for Ireland as well it's, it's actually it's actually not good enough for anybody's academy just to produce players that are only play for their own academy. It's it's much better than not producing players at all, but you have to be producing internationals. That's why the IRFU puts a lot of money into academies and talent of identification programs and everything like that. Is to produce players for Ireland.
0: And it, it, it's one of the things that um, we're in touch with. He's not. He, was, he still has a presence on Twitter, but he's, he's an Aussie guy. He's um, he's coached loads. He used to be on Twitter loads and asked him about new Sephora. He goes, oh, like there's no one in Australian rugby has a good word to say about him. Um, you yeah. know, they don't, they don't
1: regret his parting.
0: And I was thinking, does anyone
1: in Australian rugby have anything good to say about him? You know. anybody.
0: <laughs> <have>. It's quite <probably laughs> a You must You must fucking hate me. You must fucking love losing. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I was thinking, like, because. People sort of are too fond of Joe Schmidt, but everyone's exasperated. Well, like That's when I say everybody. I mean, like, the, the general term is, oh, Schmidt did this, oh, Schmidt. And New Sephora hasn't copped anything. And I'm sort of thinking, like, this is incredible. New Sephora is like the dark lord, and like, Joe Schmidt is beloved, but Schmidt is the one, through whatever media prism, has copped all the flack and all the criticism. So, like what New Sephora has done to one degree to, has been um, commendable. In that he has spread the talent around the place. But it papers over the, the fact that there's not enough production coming from different sources. Like it's it's pretty much all coming from. Like, I mean, Jesus, if you have no Ulster players starting for Ulster in the pack, nothing is coming from Ulster, which isn't good enough. And this and this has to be one of the real uh emphasis over the next four years for Irish rugby. Yeah. It, it's obviously Ulster rugby. In, in this particular instance that we're talking about, but you go back to the generation of guys, and like you wrote that, what, what was what was the idea behind the mixtape?
2: Yeah, so I I wrote about uh, about that there was a gap in in um, in the monster um, demographic, really. I suppose in terms of in terms of players who hadn't progressed, uh, it was at the end of the Tony McGann era, I think.
0: It had to be, because McGann had started players.
2: Yeah, because McGann had brought in Zebo Murray, um, Peter O'Mahony, whole rake of players, killer, James Cronan. Um, and he'd, he'd sort of got got the show back on the road. And he he had become, by the end of his uh, tenure in Munster, he'd become a figure of, you know, quite openly um Like Felix derodied. Jones, World Cup winning coach. Yeah, yeah. And, um, but... It, it's not all to do with the academy saying that the academy isn't producing players. The academy isn't doing this and that. What the, the key is the head coach picking players, taking uh, taking that responsibility seriously. That his his the head coach's sole job is to deliver wins. But if you have if you if you have another boss over you, David Nusafora, uh, wins aren't enough or it certainly shouldn't be enough. It should be about getting players who have talent into a team and playing them, um, and not not resting on your or not relying on on um, on the same old faces time and time again. You should always be trying to progress your team. That's the difference between a, a head a international head coach and a club head coach. the club head coach has to always be looking at the overall shape of his organization. And that's why, we've said this a number of times before, that's why I think the director of rugby and head coach, uh, two-job twin partnership at the head of a a province is particularly effective in that the head coach can coach the team and the director of rugby can, uh, you know, he gives oversight into where are we going in the bigger picture on not just on a seasonal basis, but on a three-season run what is my plan for each player in my organization? Where are his games going to come from? How many games is he going to progress? Is he going to get five at the end of year three? You know, f- five starts year three in the academy. Then we'll make a decision on whether to contract him or not to contract him. Then, you know, 15 games, five starts in um, in year one, 20 games, 10 and 10. And then year three, it might be 15 starts, five sub appearances that you have a plan Now, the plan doesn't work out, you can change the plan. But that you actually have to have a plan for every player. Because if you don't have a plan for a player, what the fuck is he doing there? And
0: there are are different demographics at play here. And again, you have to accept that. You have to be fully cognizant of the fact. But you can't just let that be a catch-all excuse for importing superannuated Kiwis or, you know, like uh, itinerants at Africans or whatever sort of your squad makeup is. Like, there's still guys, there's still articles been written about, like, oh, you know, should Albie Mathewson be allowed to stay longer than the end of November? And you're there going, hang on a minute. Craig Casey started for the Irish under-20s last year. He was, he was one of their best players. Nick McCarthy has gone down there. Like, Casey is the argument why Mathewson shouldn't be in Munster. Like, that, that's just, he's got to be able to play matches because he's a potential international he has to be able to and that's as a monster man like that's part of what monster rugby has to provide to him now like i mean look that that that's a very sort of um, again small sample size very very particular sort of argument but like ultimately it all comes down to particular arguments but exactly but then, but then you go back then you go back to ulster and you go like the, the same mentality has to happened throughout all of those problems. Like that has to be a mark of a successful job.
2: But Dan McFarland actually picked a load of Academy players last year. He might have picked the most, and if it wasn't the most, it was the second most to Leinster. I think it was probably the most. At one stage of the season it was certainly he gave him the most starts and the most minutes to academy players. Um, so McFarland has proven I you know that's 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 how he approached that last season. Um, and you know, Van Gran was the opposite. Van Gran gave the least minutes and the least starts to academy players. So Van Gran had he's he's almost two years exactly into the job. He got the job in late November 2017. So he only had half a season to get his toes in under desk. Like that's you know, that's like that doesn't count if you ask me yeah. in terms of Selecting players. Last season he was conservative and I think the jury will return on where he is uh, at the end of this season Uh, because he does need to make uh, a much more, um, he needs to have a more considered approach to using young players and not to relying so much on the same players sending them out. Time and time again. Thunder's in there.
1: That'll knock the wind out of him.
0: Someone needs to stop him.
1: So should uh, Saracens be liberally quoting uh, Taylor Swift or should they have all their trophies taken off them? What do you think? Pass. (laughs) The the Taylor Swift uh, reference is is the haters and the players that Alex Anderson referenced after they beat Gloucester.
2: Yeah, I like Sanderson uh, I thought that was a funny comment um, Saracen that's the only way they're ever going to approach it uh, in that they're being picked on everyone hates us we don't care uh, should they have their trophies taken back I think it's um,
0: I'm going to say no I'm going to say like, that's what the fine is for it's, it's a very difficult situation to be in uh, like, at what st- like at what stage do you that, that that's what the fine is for. Um, you know, and the fine should be sort of forward looking. That's the thing. Like again, you go uh I, I recently read about um Tevez and Mascherano going to West Ham, and West Ham had a yeah, fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Sheffield United ended up going down because Tevez's goals saved West Ham. And Sheffield United's contention would be West Ham should have been fine points. That would have been much bigger. That had a like a negative impact on us. So Rightly or wrongly, look, Saracens have been fined. I think it's a sort of a hollow victory for anybody else. I'm curious as to how many of these players they can retain. Uh, how many of the companies that were set up in conjunction with or by Nigel Ray um are like are they are they gonna continue trading? Are they gonna be wound up? Are there like are there revenue restrictions on them? Like I am not sure how that's gonna be dealt with. Um like I think to the law of the land, they haven't done anything wrong, but by the virtue of the salary cap they have. So like from a European perspective, they haven't done anything wrong. But they qualified for Europe by being successful domestically, they contravened the domestic um
2: salary, salary gap, cap. Yeah.
0: The, you know, the the regs of the of the league.
2: Yeah, competition competition, competition law they can say
0: whatever And competition law has you know, the, this this is the penalty. You you get dock points and you've got an enormous fine. So you know that
1: them's them's the rules. Uh had the penalty been uh you'll get stripped of any titles you win while you're cheating systematically over five, ten years, whatever however many years, uh would you think that was fair as well?
0: Yeah, I if, think if, if I you sign up if, for it, if, if you signed up for it, like if that was what if that was what was
1: flagged. Mm. Yeah. What if you're cheating in ways that they haven't uh countenanced yet? Like for example, when Juventus did it.
2: Well, I don't understand the Juventus. One.
1: Juventus were involved in... Uh, Calciopoli, Yeah. Caciopoli. But I only yeah. know the title. What actually happened? Uh, they were influencing the referees to their uh, widespread oh. influence
2: oh. throughout
1: Italian society.
2: Okay. But you're not allowed to influence the referees. That's already in the laws. It's just but the nature you, of how they did it. It doesn't
1: say you'd be stripped of a title if you do it, though, Oh, it? okay. So, that the, so what I'm saying is if yeah. you egregiously cheat the whole concept of the league, I think they should absolutely have every single one of their titles of the three years that they've accounted for it, taken away from them. And they should be awarded to the team who finished runner-up.
2: finish second in the league or no, second finish.
1: in the final? I think second in the final is the only fair way to do it or not award the titles at all. I don't, think, I don't think it's fair that Saracens win them. You see, if you don't award the titles at all, you mean that there's no winners in the league.
2: Although... I think this is sort of interesting. It's, there's no winners in the league. He's no one team cheated, so that the league didn't happen. There has to be a title holder.
1: Well then I would I would I would say you awarded to the team who finished in, in second place in the final because that's the way the league works, unfortunately.
2: Okay. And then Saracen's always going, We actually won that. You just took it off us
1: afterwards. Yeah, well I mean Juventus don't count the titles that they have taken off them. They don't get to count them.
2: Okay. Next question.
1: Um should they have the European Cup taken off the money? Nope. <laughs> what is true. <laughs> There's no salary cap in, in Europe. Um, well, that was that was mainly what I wanted to talk about. Yeah. Like, because I, I, have I, a question I, I, I don't understand how they can still not be breaking the salary cap if it accounts for the last three years. Yeah. I
2: have a question for you which is, isn't on the salary cup but it is Saracens related. Who would you want to have between Maro Toje, Billy Vanapola and Owen Farley if you could have one or three?
1: It's... <laughs> uh, Billy Apollo because we've already got James Ryan.
0: Yeah. It's between Billy and Atogé. It's a really tough decision. Isn't it? Uh, like, you'd have to think Billy's injured more often. Yeah, Maro's like younger a, Atoge as well. Atogé just, like, is, is never injured. Yeah, and you could get him for longer. And you could get him for longer. Um, But... Billy, actually, I've changed my answer
1: tomorrow. I told you, <laughs> <Sorry>. Billy,
0: <laughs> but like Billy, Billy Van isn't playable. Like you, yeah. you watch the World Cup final again, you think, "Damn!" Like I thought, Vermeulen was the South African's best player, and they're going,
2: Is he better than Billy? Like, like Billy Van is so good. Yeah, it's sort of. I I was really taken by when they, when they came uh, when that news came out. I was looking at Saracens and going, "Jesus!" Like. They're not going to be able to keep at least one of those players. Who are they going to, like, who would leave? Um, and it's it also reinforces how good Saracens are. Like, they are, like, two of those players came through the Saracens Academy, uh, Farrell and Atoji, and Billy George when he was 20 from Wasps, if you remember. To join with opposite big brother because he doesn't like doing his homework. <laughs> Michael does all his homework for him. <laughs> um, but like they're a savage team. And and they had they, you know, they're strange where that they were they were able they I thought they recruited very cleverly now. It seems like they've recruited outside the bounds of the salary cap as well. You know, it's not just like we had this discussion in the car on the way here. If Nigel Ray is saying that his uh, investment in his players is to allow them to, I'm paraphrasing here but to, it's an investment in his players made out of friendship and to, to allow them to progress because Ruby rugby be career is short to progress with a sort of financial buffer zone into their, their next career but if if he was doing that he'd just do partnership deals with guys who'd have retired so
1: um, I don't helped. know, the guy who got caught cheating is full of shit, that's not a surprise Desiree. Yeah. Yeah.
2: He's like a, he's like a Richard Branson type. I've met him. Uh he's he's really he's a really nice guy. <laughs> you
1: know? um, Did he give you loads of money? <laughs>
2: <laughs> <You're> a <JV. laughs> yes, I, I'm a JV, I'm the junior partner. I put in a pound.
1: <laughs> You've been cheating on, cheating on me. I've been cheating on, cheating on you. You've been cheating on me, but I've been cheating through this life, and all this suffering